Well, today is the day that we're going to bring to a conclusion our series on end times anxiety. I hope that you have enjoyed this, learned from this, grown from this, been challenged by this. Uh, this was not a series that we planned on doing. It was something that we felt the Lord just directing and leading us as uh, we were kind of evaluating what was going on in the world and the questions that you all were asking and the emails and the conversations and the phone calls that we were getting. And we said, man, people have a lot of questions about these things. And uh, just to be really honest with you, the plan during the summer, we were just going to go through the entire book of Mark together. And we were excited about that. We were going to go verse by verse and really uh, just explore that gospel. But uh, the Lord, we believe, had different plans. And um, I'm so grateful that we were able to kind of bob and weave and make all of that happen because it's been a really great journey to go through this series together. And I hope that you have grown and uh, been challenged through this as well. So we're going to end today with the greatest celebration ever. We're going to kick this off by reading Revelation chapter 19 and verse 1 through 9. And then after I read Revelation 19, we're going to go to Luke chapter 14. So if you want to kind of find both of those, Revelation 19 and then Luke 14, um, we're just going to kind of jump right from Revelation over to Luke, and you'll see why here in a minute. So let's read Revelation 19, verse 1 through 9. This is what John writes. He says, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God for his judgments are true and just for he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Remember, in the previous chapter, he was talking about Babylon, and so the Babylon's come to an end, and this is the thing that happened next. Verse 3, once more they cried out, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever, and the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God, all you his servants who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder, cry out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Go over to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, Jesus tells a parable about a wedding. Luke chapter 14 and verse 15, that's where we're going to start at Luke 14 and 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him, being Jesus, heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of heaven. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many, and at the time for those, the banquet he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I've bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became very angry and said to his servant, 
Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there still is room. And the master said to his servant, Go out then to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Here you see this contrast of this coming great banquet, this great celebration, this great feast. And there is coming a great banquet, as we read about in Revelation chapter 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the greatest celebration that is ever going to take place in our history, in our lifetime, ever in the universe. This is to bookend, to fulfill the Scripture. So you have Genesis, the creation, the beginning. You see what God's intentions were, what His heart was, and you see how man messed up all of these things through our sin and through our rebellion, and you see how God redeemed man back through the Scriptures, through sending Jesus Christ, and now man has been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus, and now we're anxiously awaiting the return of Christ, and then there's going to be this culmination of all these things, this marriage supper of the Lamb. The Lamb, Jesus Christ, and the bride, the church, are going to be united in the presence of God forever. No more suffering no more pain, no more persecution. All those who died prior to that, centuries past, are going to be gathered together. Loved ones who trusted in Christ, who died in the faith, are going to be there. And Scripture says God is going to wipe away every tear from your eye. Nothing will exist but joy, delight, and perfect peace in the presence of God forever. This is what awaits the person who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to open your word and to share your truth. I pray you give us ears to hear what you're saying and give us hearts to respond to where we won't just be hearers of the word, but we'll actually do what it says. So Lord, whatever your Holy Spirit is working in hearts and minds in this place or online, whatever is working in us, Lord, help us to not just cease that working by getting distracted by the balance of our day, But Lord, let us be mindful and attentive and submissive and obedient to whatever you lead us to do next as we want to grow, as we want to be strengthened, as we want to be challenged. And whatever that step is, Lord, help us to take it, to be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus uses a wedding as an illustration. He uses a, a great wedding feast, a banquet as an illustration to communicate the glory of eternity, and the priority of the life of a follower of Christ. And so think about a wedding. Think about maybe if you're married, your wedding. When I think about my wedding, it was almost 19 years ago in September. Our wedding day was so carefully planned to the minute details. I will never forget when the doors opened to that center aisle and my bride was approaching me. Everyone stood up because of how beautiful that she was. Everything was perfect. They wanted to witness her beauty. She was adorned with just this flawless dress with a pathway that was prepared with flowers. Her makeup and hair were on point. Everything was perfect. The music played that she wanted played. It was a wonderful day. And as she was walking towards me, I remember that moment in that little country church, and I remembered thinking, I can't believe this is happening. I I couldn't believe this was actually real. I felt like I was in a dream, and this, this, I couldn't believe that 
this woman that looked this amazing and beautiful and was this perfect, that uh, all this had been done. She's walking, she's choosing to be with me forever, and I'm up there, and I mean, you see me. I mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, this isn't like I can do anything with this, right? And she's choosing to be with me, and, and it, was, it, it was amazing to have that thought of, wow, this, she's choosing to be with me, and, and this is going to be um, two people committed to each other in a God-honoring marriage for life, and man, thinking back to that day, it's just incredible. And in the same way, we have been adorned. We have been made perfect by Christ. We've, we've traded in our filthy rags, and we've been clothed in what the Bible says is righteousness. And His church, His bride, has been clothed and adorned and, 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 and we've been made beautiful by the brutality of the cross of Jesus Christ. And then on that day where the marriage supper of the Lamb takes place, we, the bride, the church, get to be with Him, Jesus, the groom, forever. He has sacrificed everything to open that door and become the way. And so I just want to ask this question. If you're here in the room, if you're watching online, if you're out in the commons area, I want you to have this question at the forefront of your mind. I want to know, have you accepted the invitation to the greatest celebration ever? Because there is an invitation. You, you hear the invitation at church. You hear the invitation maybe through another uh, teacher, pastor, preacher, maybe through another Christ follower who has presented the hope of the gospel. Maybe there have been other opportunities where you have been presented this invitation to be able to participate in this celebration by becoming a child of God because it's not just a gonna be thing in the future. It's a present tense now thing when I'm made new, when He has made me a son or a daughter, when I have been grafted in, made part of something I wasn't a part of before because now, now it's not just uh, about me having a certain heritage or being born into a certain family or having a certain bloodline. Now it's by faith I am made a, a child of God. Now by faith in Jesus, I'm now brought into that family of God. I was an outsider. Scripture says in Romans that I was an enemy of God. But now because of faith in Christ and what He's done, I'm now brought to the inside. And He says we're, we've been adopted. We've been adopted as sons, as daughters of God. We've not received a spirit of fear anymore where we were slaves to fear, but now we're, we're adopted as sons, and God, as sons and daughters of God where we cry out, Abba, Father. That's who we are if we have put our faith and our trust in Christ. And Jesus tells a story here of different individuals that were invited to a banquet, to a celebration. And all these people were invited, and here's the thing that bothers me. This is what gets me in this story, is that these people were presented with the invitation, and they actually RSVP'd. They said yes to the invitation. And when it came time to actually have the banquet, to have the feast, he sends out his servant to go and say, hey, it's time to have the celebration. It's time to have the banquet. And when he goes out and actually says, the thing you said you were all about, the thing you said you wanted to be a part of, the thing you said that you wanted to attend, well, when it was time to actually 
make that decision, all of these people who had previously sent in the RSVP, maybe they had checked chicken, maybe they checked fish, maybe they checked vegan, I don't know. They RSVP'd, they were going to attend, and now it's time to come, and they've got excuses. And not only do they have excuses, but they got like super weak sauce excuses. Like, I mean, this is some hardcore weak sauce, top shelf weak sauce excuses. I bought some oxen, and I have to go check on them. Really? I bought some land. I want to go look at it. Really? Seriously? Like, we're not talking about major life events here. We're talking about the average, everyday ebb and flows. Are, are you hearing what Jesus was, was communicating and what I believe He's still, by His Spirit, communicating through His Word, showing us that the ebbs and flows, the day-to-day, -day, the buying and selling, oh, I got married, oh, I want to just go do my own thing and focus on my own life, oh, I bought some lamb, oh, I bought, you know, some oxen, oh, I'm just going about the ebbs and flows, the things that just happen in the flow and the cycle of our lives. And those things became more important to those people. And they said, may I please be excused? They were rejecting Christ's invitation because they preferred to just go on with the rhythms of their life. They didn't want to be interrupted. They didn't want to be inconvenienced. And so what does the master in the parable tell the servant to do? Go out and compel those who are crippled, those who are lame, those who maybe normally physically could not have made it, those who maybe have been uh, tossed away and shoved in the corner of society. Go and compel those people. Go get those people because nobody invites them or brings them anywhere because it's too much trouble to bring them. Go and get those people. And the servant goes, yes, sir. He goes out and gets all the people who it was so difficult to bring them in, and he brings them all in. The people who it's going to be slower to get them there, right? These people are, are crippled. They're lame. They're, it's more difficult to transport them to the feast. He says, okay, um, Lord, I've done all of these things. I've got all those people here, and there's still room. And so what does the master say then? Well, go out into the highways, to the hedges, like go out as far as you can go. Go wherever you can go. Like, like you know, we say you shake the bushes, right? We'll say shake the bushes, see what falls out. Maybe, maybe there's someone who will find value in the invitation of the master. Maybe there's someone who will accept the invitation to his banquet. Maybe let's go to, to the ends of the earth. Go to the far reaches because I hope that some people see the value in the invitation. And then he goes out and, and compels them to come, he says. But those who were invited, he said, none of those men shall taste of my banquet. Man, I don't know, you guys. When I read a parable about Jesus inviting people, and then they accepted, and then when it came time to come, they chose something else. I, it grieves me. This parable is directly linked to um, Israel. 
and Jesus is primarily referring to the people of Israel, the nation that God chose to reveal His plan of redemption through, the people that God gave His word through, and the people that God that ultimately rejected Jesus as the Savior of the world. Jesus is called by Scripture the stone that the builder rejected because Israel rejected Jesus as the Christ. This parable, much like the opening scenes in the first two books, uh, two chapters of the book of Acts, where the Holy Spirit falls, and you see all these people speaking in different tongues and different languages of those who are there from the far reaches of the earth, kind of like the same vision that Jesus, uh, that God gave to Peter, seeing all the different animals that he could eat. What, what it's telling him is that now the gospel is open to the whole world. So compel those from all nations, all those men and women to come, because guess what? Here's the beautiful thing in the story. There is room at the Father's table. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter if you're lame. It doesn't matter if you're outside of the region. No, it's, it's, he's compelling everyone to come to the table. All are invited, but how will you respond to the invitation? Because as I read this parable, it, it kind of clues me in on something. It is possible for me to have heard the invitation, to participate in the invitation, and even having had made a verbal commitment to Christ to maybe, yeah, I'll, I'll live out with a different priority. Yeah, sure. I'll repeat those words. I'll do the thing. Yeah, that sounds good to me. I mean, that hell place sounds bad and the heaven place sounds a lot better. So yeah, sure, I'm in. But there's no relationship. There's no real transformation. There's no true faith in Christ. There's just a, maybe someone's just hoping for a little fire insurance, but they just go on living completely untransformed and unchanged by the power of the gospel. They just, they just checked the box. They just made a, made a verbal commitment that there was no heart commitment. There was nothing that changed at a, at a heart level because it wasn't sincere, it wasn't genuine. It was just, uh, oh yeah, that sounds nice. Maybe I'll get to that. But then when it actually comes up, you know, it's kind of like those friends that invited you to come over two months ago and then all of a sudden your wife reminds you that you guys made plans with that couple on that night that you were actually gonna go hang out with your guy friends and you're like, oh, well, I was gonna go hang out with my friends. Yeah, honey, but we planned this two months ago. You have to go to this and you're like, oh man, and you call your buddies or you text your buddies and you say, hey, sorry, I, I, I can't make it. I have to go to this thing. And you're there and you're like, man, I wish I was someone el somewhere else because I had already made these other plans. And oh man, it's like having those experiences where, oh, I don't, I don't really want to go. I just said yes in the moment. Yeah, honey, I'll go. But then I'd rather do something else. Yeah, sure, Jesus, that sounds nice. Or maybe in the moment, Jesus, I feel, I feel maybe a little guilty. Maybe I feel a little stirred. Maybe I feel a little moved. Yeah, that sounds nice, Jesus. But beyond that moment, there's, there's, really, there's really nothing else. You see, there has to be a commitment to Christ, not only initially when he sends out the invitation, but there has to be this trust in Christ to where we are anxiously awaiting. And when he says yes, we're like, yeah, we're ready. We're waiting. I'm ready. I'm ready. I want, I'm ready. I've been waiting for this. I've been excited about this. I've been longing for this because we have placed so much value in Christ. We want to make sure that when he calls that we are indeed ready. Go over to Matthew chapter 25. <clears throat> Matthew 25, and we're going to read verse 1.
Matthew 25 and verse 1 says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps as the bridegroom was delayed and all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight when there was a cry, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil for our lamps, because we want to go out. Our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And when they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you do not neither know the day nor the hour. Here's the same idea. Jesus is using a different illustration. He's talking about these virgins. He's, and he's using the illustration of a Galilean wedding to where they would actually prepare and they would actually wait. And they didn't know when it was going to be time for the wedding. It wasn't like, hey, it's going to be this day at this time. Because the wedding was called in those days in the Galilean tradition. And those who heard this parable would have known this. Whenever the father said it's time. The father would tell the groom, go and get your bride, when it was time. And so Jesus returned. He's, he's, he's coming. He's longing to come for his bride. But at the same time, it's when the father says. And the father said, all right, son, go and get your bride. It is time for the wedding. And there are those that are ready. There are those that are prepared. Those who knew this tradition. Those that were anxiously awaiting those who had prepared, those who made sure they had oil for the journey because the father would always call at night. In these wedding traditions, weird, I know, right? Definitely not kind of our way of doing things, right? But that's just the way that it would work. He would always call at night, and so they always had to be ready. And those that heard this parable knew exactly what that meant. And so as we see Jesus saying, watch, therefore, because you don't know. You don't know when the Father's going to say, all right, it's time. It's time. It's time. So it's our job to make sure that we are like the five that are wise and that we are ready. We must make sure we are ready and watching for the return of Christ. Amen, church? We must make sure we're watching. We must make sure we are ready. This is what we mean at Word of Grace when we say in our core values that we say yes to greater things because we're called to live in light of eternity. This is what we mean when we say we're called to live in light of eternity. It's not just some cute saying. It's not something for a t-shirt, for a bumper sticker, or from some little plaque you can hang in your living room. No, we, we mean be watchful, be ready, because Jesus has told us, hey, be wise, be ready, be watching. If you're invited and you say yes to the invitation, anxiously await that, that, that fulfillment of that invitation to where that is actually going to happen, where it's going to come to pass, where you're excited, where you're actually anticipating His return. We must make sure we're watching. We must make sure we are ready. And we must say yes to greater things because we're called to live in light of eternity. There are a lot of things that this world is pulling our attention, our affection, and pulling our, our hearts towards so that we can say yes to those things. But Jesus told us in Matthew 6 and 33 to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. In other words, we are to seek first the things of God, 
Those take priority over everything else. The things of God take priority over everything else. They should matter more to us than anything else because He is our priority. We are saying yes to greater things, which means we're going to have to say no to lesser things. And guess what? Sometimes those lesser things are good things. They're not always bad things, right? I mean, not everything I have to say no to is bad, but it may be keeping me from saying yes to greater things. So, so there's good, and then there's great. And I don't want to settle in my life for just good when God has called me to great, when God has called me to trust Him and, and, and to serve Him in a way that's going to be laying up, storing up treasures in heaven that is actually great. So that may mean that I actually say no to some things here in this world. Because guess what? It's the same idea that Jesus reiterated to the churches. The seven churches, remember the second one? The church, I believe it's Sardis, where he said, you guys think that you are poor, but you're actually rich. And then he said to the last church, the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 2, he said, you guys think you're rich, but you're actually poor. What was the difference in the church that thought they were poor but were actually rich and the church that thought they were rich but actually they were poor? What was the difference? Where their heart's priority lied. That was the difference. The difference in those two churches is did they say yes to greater things? Because the church in Laodicea said yes to things they thought were good. Man, they were wealthy. They, they, were, they were the trade commerce uh, epicenter of Asia Minor. They were the banking epicenter of Asia Minor. They were wealthy. They were so stinking rich and doing well. And they thought they were good because of what they had and their ease of life. And Jesus says, you think you're rich, but you're actually poor because your heart's in the wrong place. But the people who thought, man, we don't have anything. We're struggling. Man, we're, we're struggling because we're barely getting by. And Jesus said, you think you're poor, but actually you're rich because you're saying yes to greater things. It's not saying everybody in here just has to be dirt poor to go out and, and, and actually please God and live for God. That's not what I'm saying. It's, it's about where your heart is. Because Luke 12 and 34, Jesus said where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be also. So those who are treasuring Christ, those who are valuing Christ, those who are anxiously awaiting the return of Christ, they are living with a heavenly priority. They're saying yes to greater things. And what they will do is they will prioritize eternal things over temporal things. They will live in light of eternity. That means I'm going to say no to some things that are maybe bring me temporary fulfillment, temporary satisfaction in exchange for saying yes to something that I know is making an eternal deposit. And a lot of times this plays out with the way we use our time. This plays out really big with our time because, man, time is, is an extremely valuable commodity. We've all been given, you know, perhaps 24 hours in a day if the Lord so sees fit. And as we have that time how we disperse and use that time. Are we saying yes to temporary things? Are we saying yes to eternal things? Sometimes I will say no to temporary things that just bring temporary pleasure and comfort so I can say yes to the greater thing, to live in light of eternity, because eternity takes precedence. That means that I will be intentionally, listen, I will be intentionally inconvenienced for the sake of Christ. Intentionally. That means on purpose, right? I'm like on purpose saying I know it would be easier to go this route. I know I would rather just stay home and do this. I know I would rather just take the comfortable road, but 
I know I didn't sleep well last night. I know that it's, it, it doesn't really make sense in my schedule. I know this isn't maybe the best time in my life, but I just want to please the Lord, and I want to live in light of eternity, so I'm going to say no to some things over here so I can say yes to greater things because I'm called to live in light of eternity. Do you see the difference? That's the difference between being poor and rich between those two churches. That's the difference between accepting the wedding invitation and saying, yeah, that sounds like a good idea, but I kind of want to do things my way and my speed, my style, and saying, Lord, not my will, but your will. You see the contrast there of the person who actually accepts the invitation. You see the contrast there of the virgins who were ready because they prepared and those who weren't ready when the master called because somebody was living in light of eternity. They were thinking ahead. They were thinking about something greater. They were prioritizing something greater. And these others were like, oh, it's probably just too much trouble to carry that extra oil, man. I mean, I'd rather like, you know, carry like some snacks. Did you bring some Lunchables with you? You know, did you bring some, some gummy bears? Did you bring some fruit snacks? Uh, fruit snacks are what's up, right? I mean, like, you bring some fruit snacks with you, you're good. Oh, oh we should bring some oil too, don't you think, Susie? Oh, no, I don't, I don't need to bring no oil. I got some, I, I don't have enough room in my bag for that. I, I'm carrying my fruit snacks. And so whatever the priority was, it obviously wasn't on the oil because it wasn't being taken seriously because they want things to happen on their time frame. This will be good enough. And then if it's not enough, they were thinking, it's not really worth me thinking to prepare. So they didn't think about it. They didn't value it. We must make sure we are ready and watching for the return of Christ. Let's go back over to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. We're going to start reading in verse 14. So go ahead and, 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 and kind of find that spot there in Scripture. Revelation 22 and verse 14. Let's read this. This is cool. We're going to read through the end of, of our Bible here. It says, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter by the, the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about the things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bride and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. There's always something that kind of feels epic about reading the end of your Bible. I don't know. I don't know if you feel that, but I feel that. There's always just kind of something epic about reading those last few verses. Because here he says, the Spirit and the bride say come. The Holy Spirit and the church, the bride, communicating to the hearer of the book of Revelation, communicating to that person who would have read this or who would have heard this read, communicating the Spirit and 
of God and the bride, the church, are both compelling you, saying, come, come. Just like the, just like the, the, the guy who had sent out the wedding invitations, he's compelling them, he's saying, come, just like the servant who couldn't find enough people to come. He even went and got the crippled people, the lame people. He brought them in and set them at the table. And there still was plenty of room, he told the master. And so he says, go compel them. Go out to the highways, to the hedges. Go shake the bushes, man. Go, go compel, find whoever you can. Just like on the day of Pentecost, all the world, go out to, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. Compel them, bring them in. Invite them. The Spirit and the Bride are saying, come. 2 Corinthians 5 and 20 tells us we're ambassadors for Christ. We're compelling people to be reconciled to God. We as the Bride, we as the Body of Christ are supposed to be compelling people to come. Come to the greatest celebration ever. Come be a part. I want you to sit at the table of the King with me. I, I want you to come and be a part of the family of God. I want you to be so, so, so in, in, enthralled with who He is and what He has done that you found worth in Christ and it's worth everything to you. And I want you to come. That's why we do what we do. That's why I'm preaching messages to you. That's why we're streaming our services online. It's just another way to compel people to come and be a part. It's just one more avenue to leverage technology, to be able to reach out and say, come. That's why we uh, want to equip you for the work of the ministry so in your own homes you're able to share with your family, with your children, your grandchildren, to share with nieces, nephews, neighbors, co-workers, to share with them the message of hope and the gospel, to share with them that Jesus Christ loved them so much that He has died for their sins and that He's wanting to forgive them of all of their trespasses, all of their wrongdoing, all of their rebellion, all of their anger, all of their hatred, all of the things that have just poisoned humanity. And he's wanting to actually forgive them of all of that. And well, what do I have to do in exchange? Just trust in what Christ has done because Jesus paid it all. You can't save yourself. You can't earn this. You can't deserve this. I can't work my way into God's good graces. Oh, but you don't know what I've done, but I know how great our God's grace is. And that grace has paid the price for your sin. Are we compelling people? Are we telling them, come? Come hear this message of hope. Come hear this message of hope that this world, this life is, is not the end. That when you pass away here, yeah, it's sad. Yeah, we grieve. We grieve when somebody passes away here. I get it. It's sad because we miss them. But if we are followers of Jesus and our loved ones before us who went on before us were followers of Christ, we can have a great hope and confidence that death is not the end. I don't know if you're hearing the message that's being preached today, um, but I hope that it stirs something in you that gets you excited beyond this life because you have hope. And let me tell you, I, I'm, I'm not, I'll just be honest, I know people are going to laugh. It's okay. You can laugh at me. I'm, I'm getting older, but I'm not that old, but I'm getting older. Ask my kids, I'm old, Right? Um, but talk to their grandparents, I'm not old. Talk to their uh, great-grandparents, 
uh, their parents uh, or their grandparents aren't old, right? Because everyone's always, there's always someone older. And I don't know when I'm going to be old. I don't really know when that happens. But I know it's going to happen because it depends on who you're talking to, whether or not you're old or not, right? And I think that's kind of how it works because some people are like, oh, 60 is the new like 30 or whatever, you know? And some people are like, 80 is the new, I don't know, 50? <laughs> I don't know how that works. But however it works, one day I'm going to be old, but as I've gotten older, I've learned some things. And some of the things that I've learned, because I love hanging out with people older than me, I naturally connect with people older than me. It's just always, even since I was a little kid. Um, and, and I'm able to just engage and hang out with people older than me. And, and as I've done that, I've learned a lot from spending time with people that are, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years my senior. And um, as I talk to them, I learn things. That the older you get, the more your priorities shift. And the more your mind shifts to things that actually should have really mattered back here. And the older generation is trying to communicate to you what should matter, but you're not seeing it because you're so focused on your own ambition and you just think you're going to live forever and do all these things and you're chasing after all these dreams and all these passions. And they're saying, I, that's nice, that's cute, but these are the things that really matter because I'm older than you and I know. And they look at you and, and, and they hope you figure it out. They pray for you. They try to tell you. They try to instruct you. And sometimes, those of us who are younger than those wise elders that are speaking into us, sometimes we listen. And sometimes we don't. Sometimes we never grow up and we actually become adolescent elderly people. Yeah, we can get the senior citizen discount at Denny's, but uh, we're not really mature <laughs> because we're just old in age, but we haven't learned those lessons. I don't want to keep getting older in years and not growing in wisdom. I want my gray hair or no hair or whatever. I want, I want it to represent wisdom and experience and God's faithfulness and, and not just the fact that my body is beginning to deteriorate. I want, I want more to see more and more the value of the cross. I want more and more to see the value of eternity is getting closer and closer in, in my life, every day is just one step closer to when he calls me home, if, 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 he, if he calls me before I, I pass away as an old man or whatever the case may be, it's appointed once for a man to die and then the judgment. So I'm just going to trust in that. And we're sad when people pass away, but if we know Jesus, yeah, it's sad, but at the same time, I can go, Jesus, I know where they're at. They're with you to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know that they're in your presence and I know that one day, whether by your return or by my passing away, that I'm going to be in heaven with all those who have gone before me. And the most important thing is not being in heaven with loved ones. The most important thing is being in heaven with Jesus because he matters more. Amen? And so if, 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 I've heard people say this is a beautiful thing, that, that if Jesus weren't in heaven, would you still want to go? Hmm. You see, Jesus has to be more important than reconnecting with loved ones because reconnecting with loved ones will only get me so far in my value system. I'll only be willing to pay a certain price for that. But Jesus, if he's the goal, guess what? I don't have to wait to heaven to be with him. I can be with him now, but guess what? I'm going to get to be with him forever. 
and then this whole thing's going to culminate in this marriage supper of the Lamb, and the Spirit and the bride are compelling. They're compelling you. Come, be a part. Don't just check chicken or fish or vegan. Don't just RSVP. No, actually anticipate and await and be excited about this glorious union, this coming back to the presence of God forever, uninhibited by sin, uninhibited by suffering, uninhibited by sorrow, no longer having to, to go to sleep with knots in my stomach or, 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 or feel the, the heaviness of all of the pain and the grief and of how people may reject you or treat you or, or the pain of loss and the pain of suffering, no longer having to deal with physical issues, no longer giving any care about any COVID-19, COVID-20, 21, 22, however many numbers they want to attach to it. It doesn't matter not giving any concern to paying the bills. Oh, somebody should have shouted right there, hallelujah, somebody. No more, no more depression, no more fear, no more concern about what's everybody thinking about me, oh no. Because all you're going to be focused on is the glory of Jesus. Matter of fact, guess what? There, there's, there's no source of light in heaven other than God himself. There's, there's no source, like we look to the sun, right? The uh, big, huge star that lights up our planet. And no, there, there's, there's no source like that, Scripture says, because God Himself is the light, and He illuminates all of that. He's the light. And literally, like literally, He's the light. <laughs> and we're going to be with Him forever. So He's pleading with you that there's more to this life. But here's what I've learned. I've learned that you cannot convince someone to see value in something that they care nothing about or not, are not truly interested in. I mean, you can, you can talk to me about your hobby, and I'll go, yeah, that sounds cool for you, but I may not get passionately excited about it, right? Um, I used to bore my mother to tears with basketball facts um, as a child, I knew everything about all of the basketball players of that era when I was a teenager, and I would just spout out random facts, and I'm sure with the 30-minute drive we had to the grocery store from where we lived, that's all. I would flip through my book filled with cards and facts, and I would quote out and spit out facts about my favorite basketball players, and, and um, I'm sure she knew more about Reggie Miller or Michael Jordan than she cared to know. Um, <laughs> uh, she wasn't that interested. And no matter how much I talked about it, no matter how much I talked about the players, the sport, the facts, no matter how passionate I was about it, she was not going to become passionate about that. It wasn't the information that was going to make that passion contagious. It, it wasn't the amount of times I talked about it, the frequency, the, the how long the conversations were. You see, uh, as we read these stories, you always wonder, well, what could we have done to reach those five other virgins? What could we have done to get those people who RSVP'd to the banquet to actually show up instead of thinking that their ox was so important or their land was so important? Like, what could we have done? Like, I, it, maybe I just, if I just could have said something one, one more time, and we always look to ourselves, and this is the problem, is that we always look to ourselves and we think it's our job to change people's hearts and it's our job to try to just uh, uh, make them see things differently. And folks, listen, we have got to get better 
at trusting the Holy Spirit. We've just got to get better at trusting the Holy Spirit. Because even the Apostle Paul, he said, listen, I plant some water, right? But God's the one who brings the increase. So what's my job? My job is to plant what? Seeds. Seeds of faith, seeds of truth, seeds of love. My job is to water those things. So maybe someone has already planted in that person's heart and in that person's mind. And then I'm just coming along and sprinkling a little bit of water and kind of reiterating, right? I'm trying to help it to grow. But God's the one who brings the increase. We've got to start trusting the Holy Spirit more and stop trying to control people's destiny. We've got to stop trying to control outcomes. We've got to stop trying to control people and trying to just, just, just beat them over the head. We've got to love them consistently. We've got to love them well. We've got to preach to them, yes. We've got to speak truth to them, yes. We've got to show them grace, yes, absolutely. And we need to be doing that. We need to compel them to come. We need to pray for them. But remember, this is a spiritual war for people's soul, and you need to fight spiritual battles with spiritual weapons. So make sure that you're praying for them. Make sure that you're lifting up other people and taking them before the Lord. Make sure you're praying that the eyes of their understanding would be open. Make sure that you yourself are being equipped and you're being sure of your salvation, that you're strengthening your faith, you're strengthening your walk, that you're sharing with your family. And make sure that we're doing what we're supposed to do, but we have to stop trying to control because we can't convince someone to see value. They have to see value for themselves. And so a lot of the value they're going to see is by the way that you and I live our lives. Isn't that a big testimony? to those that are watching. that's a, Yes, we should tell. Yes, we should preach. Yes, we should pray. We should also live it out as well in a way where they see that we value it because are we just telling them to do something that we really don't value ourselves? Let's look at one more scripture before we wrap it up today. Over in Matthew chapter 13. This is a cool text. You've heard me talk about this a lot. But I love going back here. Matthew 13. In verse 44, it's another parable. Jesus is just kind of like knocking out parables. Like, you know, he's just like boom, 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 one after the other. He's just throwing these parables out. And in this series of parables about the kingdom of God, he says this in Matthew 13 and verse 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So you're seeing here something about treasure, something about priority, right? That's really the message. Something about value, because we attach value by putting a price on it, right? That's how we find out how some valuable something is. You ever watch some of those shows, like the, the, the two guys that travel around in that weird van, and they go like looking for old junk in people's like barns and share, sheds and stuff like that, and you'll find some old rusted thing that I would have thrown in the garbage, and they're like, I'll give you $1,000 for it. And I'm like, I wish I had a rusted piece of metal that somebody would give me $1,000 for. That's awesome. I mean, it could be like a part to a thing. It doesn't even have to be the whole thing. It could just be like the cap to a thing. You know, it, it's just this random part. And he's like, you know what this is? Yeah, it's junk. Yeah. No, I'll give you $1,000 for that. And he turns around and sells it for $2,000 to somebody who wants the rusted piece of junk. Blows my mind. Isn't that crazy? 
Jesus said, value, value is going to be based on what you're willing to pay, on what you're willing to pay. That's how we know value, because that was valuable, that person. Me, I'm not going to give you $1,000 for that piece of rusted metal, but I know those two guys are driving around the whole country trying to find people's junk, right? I mean, and they're willing to pay exuberant prices for stuff you and I who are, who don't know the value, who quite frankly just don't care about rusted stuff, that, that we wouldn't pay that, but they would. Why? Because to them it's worth something and they're willing to pay for it. Jesus said there was a man just going about his day. He's walking and he comes up on this field and there's something valuable. He doesn't say what it was. He just says there's treasure. He said, this is how the kingdom of heaven works. This is, this is what the value system of heaven looks like. Because he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The guy's just walking, man. He comes on this field. It's not his field, obviously. He's in this place that maybe he doesn't even know, you know. Maybe he's not familiar with. He walks by, and he sees something, and he goes, oh my gosh, that is so valuable. He doesn't go back and just scrap together a few hundred dollars. No, he sells everything that he has. He liquidates everything. Everything. Because apparently this was going to cost him a lot. It was going to cost him everything, but the value that he placed on it, think about this. How many other people had walked by this field? He wasn't the first. How many other people had maybe seen that treasure, but they didn't think it was treasure. How many people had seen it, but they just kept on strolling. But this guy, this guy was different because when he walked by, he saw something so valuable, it moved him emotionally. It moved him and stirred him to the core. It got him excited. He runs home and with a great, great expediency, he starts liquidating everything he had placed value in before. This thing, oh man, that was, that was an heirloom. I, I want the thing in the, I want the field more. Gone. Put it on eBay. He looks, he says, oh, this, 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 I, I really worked hard and saved up to, to, to buy this thing. Oh, and he looks at it and he goes, field more. I want the field. I want the treasure in the field more. It's got to go. He takes out an ad in the classifieds and gets rid of it. He goes and sells everything that he has. And then he goes to the person who owns the land and he says, is this enough? It's all I've got. And the guy says, yeah, this is enough. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. Are you catching this? It, that's what makes the virgin stay up with their lamps ready. That's what makes the person say, you know what? I RSVP'd. I'm anxiously awaiting. I can't wait. Nothing else is going to be more important. That's the person who gets it, who has found value in Christ, and who not only has found value for themselves, but they're like, come, come. I want you to come too. Shaking the bushes, going out, finding those people who've been rejected by society, those people who, who, who maybe thought they weren't good enough before, compelling them, hey, come, let me show you this great treasure that I found. Like this pearl of great price. This jeweler, he wanted this pearl so badly. He's like, I gotta have that. No cost is too great. And, and the person who had the pearl said, well, uh, there's a price to it. 
it's going to cost you everything you've got. I'm not kidding, everything you've got. And the guy that looks at the pearl and he goes, it's worth it. It's worth it. That's the value of Christ. That's the value that he is worth everything. How do I know? How do I know Christ is worth that much? How can I trust that Christ is worth that much? Because I see the price he paid for you and me. That's how I know. That's how I can be convinced that that's the price. Because Jesus said, man, no greater love has anyone than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Everything. Romans 12 and 11 I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That is your reasonable act of worship. That's your reasonable sacrifice. In light of what he's done, you are invited to the greatest celebration ever. Are you compelling others to come? Are you prepared and are you waiting are you asking for Jesus to return for his bride? Have you found the treasure in the field? I didn't ask if you checked the box. I didn't ask if you made a verbal commitment. I asked, have you found the treasure in the field? Online, have you found the treasure in the field? Have you found the treasure in the field? Have you found something so valuable that Christ has become everything? Everything else dulls in comparison to the treasure in the field. Everything else dulls in comparison to the pearl of great price. Because you can, we can pass a card around and you can check an RSVP. I can ask for you to raise your hand. I can ask for you to say a prayer. But is he really valuable to you? Not just have you done the thing. Is he valuable to you? How valuable is he to you? Because if he's valuable to you, you'll stay up waiting. You'll think, man, I'm sacrificing a lot. I feel poor. And Jesus says, no, actually, you think you're poor, but you're rich. Because you're understanding true treasure. I'm saying yes to greater things because I'm living in light of eternity. Church, may that be said of us and may we live with an urgency and a passion to go out and share the gospel with others. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Help us to grow in Christ-likeness and godliness. Help us to live with an urgency. And Father, if there are people either in this room or in this building or watching this service online, either live or sometime after, I pray that they may find such value in you, Jesus, that they would be willing to say, Lord, I surrender. I see it. I want to give you everything and that they would truly surrender and that you would lead them and guide them in those next steps, whether you're calling them, Lord, out of, out of poor prioritization, whether you're calling them, Lord, into a place where uh, you're showing them a next step, maybe something that needs to be done, something that needs to shift, decisions that need to be made, maybe conversations that need to be had. Lord, I pray you lead and guide those people in those next steps. And I pray, Lord, that those who may be having their eyes open to the treasure in the field for the very first time, may they call on your name, Jesus, and be saved. May they receive Christ today, and may they forever be changed. 
may it be more than a box that gets checked. May it be more than a hand that gets raised. May it be a heart that gets transformed. May it be a spirit-breathed newness of life that from this day forward marks a significant milestone in the journey of their lives where they are never the same. Thank you, Jesus, for doing what only you can do in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.